Jonathan on really embarrass you. He is very, very gifted, as many of you know, in so many different ways, and he's transitioning uh, to a new place, going uh, back to his home, hour and ish in Lorem. Orem? Orem. Orem, North Carolina. And uh, we know that, that because even though he won't be here with us, God has a very special purpose. We just want to pray for him. So, uh, worship team, come on up here. And, uh, uh, Erwin, is there anything you don't play? I mean, any, any instrument you don't play? I've known Derwin for a long time. Any of you want to come up here yeah, and get around Joseph? We, he is loved by this congregation. And um, God has a very rich heritage for you, Joseph. God has not forgotten your name. God knows all of the influences in your life, for good or for ill. <laughs> and God is using them to build you into a man of amazing character and also anointing for ministry. And God, as we pray for him right now and lay our hands upon him, God, we simply agree with your purposes for this man of God. And Father, we call nil and void every lie of the enemy and every voice of discouragement that may be there. And God, we simply ask for you to release now in him a fresh release of your presence. And God, we thank you that though he might not be here week to week, God, we are already together in Jesus. And Lord, we believe that uh, our paths will cross again. <laughs> And so, Lord, we pray for him that you would meet every need that he has according to your riches and glory by Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would resource him with people, uh, with finances, with vocational choice, of all that stuff, Lord, the stuff you know that we need. And, Lord, we thank you for him. We pray your blessings upon him. We declare good things over him. God, we declare freshness and purpose and destiny over his life. And Lord, we will see it come to pass. We thank you for him now. And we bless him in the name of Jesus. Amen. A lot of people praying as I was praying, brother. Hallelujah. We have a few more minutes, and I'm going to share a little bit from the book of Esther. I walk my table out here into the center. <clears throat> uh, take the book of Esther, your Bible, and open it to the book of Esther, uh, if you would. And uh, if you're not quite sure where to find the book of Esther, if you go to the Psalms and Proverbs right in the middle and then go to the left, uh, I think you're going to find Job and then Esther. That's a good way to remember where it is. Uh, so, last week, um, we were talking about our life together, and um, that's one of the, the real strong and high priorities that we have had for coming together into one service throughout uh, the weeks that we've been together. We've come to recognize that uh, when one part of us is missing... There's something missing. And last week was so absolutely amazing to me 
uh, to have the generations exposed, you know, those born before 1946 called the builders, and then those who followed the boomers, uh, and then the Gen Xers, and then the millennials, and then there's yet another generation that's being formed from 2000 to the present. And it was so powerful to invite the builders to come first and to celebrate communion. I saw love break out all over the place. It was amazing as not only the builders came and then the boomers and then each generation. So uh, we've, we're just following the lead of the Holy Spirit as we bless the generations, as we say every generation is important, and in fact every, gener- every individual within every generation is important. And that's really the takeaway that uh, we are praying that God would give to us. And uh, last week I did sort of a sweeping um, uh, story, just told the story of Esther and that she was called to the kingdom and was raised up to become queen of uh, Persia under King Ahasuerus uh, for such a time as this. And so it is that the church, I believe, today, wherever she exists around the world, has been raised up in the kingdom for such a time as this. Now this morning I want to take a few minutes and dip back into that story and uh, land in Esther chapter 2. And if you would, if you'd turn there with me and I'll just uh, read a few verses. Um, You remember that King Ahasuerus, now the Babylonians uh, took Judah captive and then the Babylonians were taken captive by the, the Persians. And now this is the Persian Empire into which many of the Jews were now dispersed and living. And uh, king, Queen Vashti fell out of favor with the king. She lost her crown uh, and was banished from the king's presence. And lots of other uh, concubines and young virgins were raised up at the uh, calling and beckoning of the king. And among those young uh, women was a young Jewish girl by the name of uh, Esther in the Hebrew, Hadassah, Hadassah, if you will. And uh, her name means myrtle. <laughs> isn't that good? So this isn't about Myrtle Grove, but, but, it's, you know, but it, is, it is interesting. Uh, so Hadassah then... Uh, uh, Esther, in her Persian name, became queen of Persia under the king, Ahasuerus, uh, and um, they, those in the kingdom, didn't understand, uh, King Ahasuerus and his court did not understand, they did not know that she was a Jewess. Uh, Because Mordecai, another player in the story, told her to keep that quiet. So she was raised in his house, Uh, She was his cousin and uh, was obedient to him and didn't tell anybody that she was a Jew and she became queen. And so in uh, chapter 2 of Esther, I want to read here for just a moment and um, because uh, Mordecai, evidently, uh, the one who was her guardian for many years, had a lower position uh, in the court of King Ahasuerus. And all we know about that is that he was just inside the gate. 
Now, whether he was a gatekeeper, we don't know, but he was just inside the gate. That, that's how I envision myself in the kingdom. I'm just, I'm just inside the gate, you know, and it's okay with me because just to get inside the gate is enough. Well, I don't know where that came from. But anyway, um, he was just inside the gate in verse um, 18 or verse 19. Let me pick it up there. Uh, we learn something about Mordecai being a righteous man. Uh, so verse 19, uh, when... Uh, virgins were gathered together a, a second time. Mordecai sat in the king's gate, meaning he was just inside the gate. Uh, now Esther had not received, had not revealed her family and her people, just as Mordecai had charged her. For Esther obeyed the command of Mordecai as when she was brought up by him. Okay, uh, so. Now the queen, who is queen, Esther, is in the innermost resources or, or recesses of the king, kingdom, uh, the palace. She's in good uh, relationship with the highest officials of the land, the king. But Mordecai is outside uh, and just inside the gate, and um, Mordecai hears about a plot to assassinate King Ahasuerus. Now, the question we want to look at this morning is, um, uh, what does it cost us to stand in the midst of darkness? Uh, so, verse 21, In those days, while Mordecai sat within the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, their names were Bigthan, B-I-G-T-H-A-N, and Teresh, T-E-R-E-S-H, they were doorkeepers, and for some reason, the text says, they became furious um, and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Well, guess what? You don't get to lay hands on King Ahasuerus and not risk your life and limb. Evidently, from that, we must understand that there was an assassination plot that was afoot, and these two guys who became angry and furious with the king uh, were instigating the assassination plot. Uh, therefore, verse 22, so the matter became known to Mordecai. Now remember, Mordecai was just inside the gate, and these two guys were gatekeepers, and the rumor began to go through the ranks of those around them that these two guys, Big Ben and uh, uh, Teresh, I guess, um, were going to kill the king. So the matter became known to Mordecai, who told Queen Esther, who's on the inside. And Queen Esther informed the king about the assassination attempt in Mordecai's name. Now when the inquiry, verse 23, was made, uh, became aware, when the inquiry was made into the matter, see the king sought information, it was confirmed and both uh, were hanged. Bigthan and Teresh were hanged on the gallows, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Now, that's not the book of Chronicles in the Hebrew Bible. That's every time something was done in the kingdom, they would write it down, because if it isn't written down, it didn't happen. Like, that's why we keep minutes of meetings, by the way. If you don't write them down, a month or two from... From then, it doesn't happen. Nobody remembers it. So they wrote it down that Mordecai foiled the assassination plot. Uh, so, uh, a couple of things. Um, 
I just want to mention there that in terms of, of the church being called to such a time as this has been called to stand uh, in the midst of darkness. You see, uh, you and I are carriers of the light. Mordecai uh, was, was a son of the covenant that Yahweh had made with a people. And to that extent, he therefore, though he wasn't in a New Testament covenantal relationship, he was in covenant with the king. And because of that, he, like us, have been called uh, to carry the light and be a carrier of the very presence of God. Um, uh, you see, each one of us, you've heard me say this, we've been called to carry the light of God. Uh, we have been called to carry His presence. Now, you might not feel like there's much light emanating from you, or you may not feel the presence of God always on you, but you can be certain in the midst of dark places, if you will stand for what is right, the light will be immense and will shine out of you and through you to those who are around you. You see, our fight is always against darkness. Righteous men and women righteously uh, will, act, will act righteously uh, when it is within their power to do so. So Mordecai heard the plot and he had a decision. You see, that's the same decision you and I have. Now, it's different, but we have similar kinds of decisions most of the time in our life. We hear something, we know something is right, and we decide to sidestep the issue, to play it safe, to hide our light under a bushel, so to speak, uh, and to that extent, light doesn't go forth. Um, however, in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, let me just look there with you quickly, uh, reading beginning at verse 11 through 15, it says that, uh, and now have no, those of you who carry the light, those of us who carry the presence of Jesus have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is a shame even to speak of those things that are done uh, by them, the workers of darkness, in secret. Verse 13 of Ephesians 5. Uh, but all things that are exposed, that is, or, that are brought into the light, are made known or manifest by the light uh, for whatever uh, is made manifest becomes light. Verse 14, Therefore, he says, Awake you who are asleep, and rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Uh, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. In other words, uh, because we walk in the light, Mordecai had a choice. To, I, I hear a, an assassination attempt. Maybe I should just play it safe. Anybody played it safe besides me? When you know you could have spoken, but you decide to play it safe. Now, if Mordecai had played it safe, the assassination plot would have gone forward and King Ahasuerus could have been killed. However, uh, Mordecai made known the plot to his cousin Esther who told the king and the king 
sought out information and discovered the two scoundrels that were at the root of it and hung them on a gallow. That's what should happen to darkness when the people of God determine to walk in the light. A couple of points under this I'll just mention. First of all, you've got to become aware of the darkness in your own heart and expose the light that lives there. You see, you've got to deal with your own darkness. You see, and too many Christians, I think, spend a whole lot of time pointing the fingers at everybody else's darkness and not looking at their own. Jesus talked about that, you know, something about that speck and that log and speck kind of relationship. So therefore, deal with the darkness in your own heart uh, so that you will be then enabled uh, to bring the light to others. Um, uh, Then you will have power to release the light everywhere that you walk. That's what you see here, uh, back to Esther chapter 2. Mordecai heard, he decided not to sidestep, but to act as a man of life in the covenant that God had made with them at that point in time, and he spoke about it to the people who could do something about it, and the assassination plot was foiled. Uh, Secondly, uh, if we move through this chapter and move into chapter 3, just a couple of things I want to say there. Um, Standing against the darkness, it's easy to talk about this stuff. But standing against the darkness is another deal. And when you come to chapter 3, you begin to see the cost. Chapter 3, it says, After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted this guy named Haman, H-A-M-A-N, verse 1 of chapter 3. And he was the son of this guy and that guy, and he was advanced, and uh, he advanced him and set him above all the other princes who were there before it. He was the top prince in the kingdom of King Ahasuerus. And all the king's servants who were there, verse 2, within the king's gate, bowed and paid homage to this man named Haman because he was the top prince in the kingdom of Persia. So the king had commanded, so the king, he, they were bowing because the king had commanded that people bow down to his highest prince, um, uh, Prince Haman. But Mordecai, verse 2, but Mordecai would not bow down or pay homage. Now all of a sudden, when everybody else is down, and you're the lone person standing up, you've just called attention to yourself. Now sometimes it's easier to go, oh, we'll just go with the flow. Everybody's bowing. We, we see it with Daniel in the book of Daniel, in the lion's den, for example. You know, bow down to this, this idolatrous big thing, and, uh, you know, the, the three would not, um, and they were thrown into the furnace. You, you know, we see it all through the Scriptures where men and women of God uh, refuse to bow uh, to the darkness. And so it is here, we find that uh, Mordecai would not bow down to anyone but God. In verse uh, 3, uh, not bowing down was a transgression against the king's command. See, verse 3 uh, says, And the king's servants who were within the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? This was a violation of the law of the land. Now, I'm sure some of you are seeing some 
tie-ins and implications here, uh, but it was a violation of the king's command. And as we move into verse 4, uh, we begin to see why Mordecai would not bow down. Verse 4, now it happened when they, those who watched Mordecai standing, um, spoke to him daily and he would not listen to them that they told it to Haman. Haman, there's some guy who won't bow down to you when you come through. You're the, high, you're the highest priest of the land. Now Haman began to be angry with that. They said that, verse 4, in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand or not. For Mordecai had told them why he wasn't bowing down. Look at the text, the end of verse 4, because he was a Jew. Why don't you bow down to Haman when he comes by? He's the highest prince. He's the high prince of all the princes in the whole kingdom of Persia. Why won't you bow down to him? I'm a Jew. Now what makes a Jew, um, many of them, unwilling to bow down? Well, if you slip back to Exodus chapter 20, we have some indication of why. Exodus 20, verse 3, uh, says this, You shall have no other gods before me. Verse 5, You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. And that word there, serve, means worship. So what, what Mordecai is doing, he is saying, I am a Jew, I am a person of the book. I am a person who is under a higher law than the laws of King Ahasuerus. There is one that makes kings come and go. There is one uh, uh, before whom the nations of the world are as a drop in the bucket, says the prophet Isaiah. There is one that I serve is, that is far more important than the high prince Haman or the king, King Ahasuerus, and that is the one who has spoken everything into existence. He is the one I serve. Now, as soon as a person begins to believe that in their heart of hearts, they begin to become disaligned with the nations of the earth and the kingdoms in which sometimes uh, they are found. Now, uh, the Scripture goes on and it says, uh, we don't bow down before them in Exodus 20, uh, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, uh, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You see, the point is that Haman was a man under a higher authority than the command of the king. And beloved, so are you. And so am I. And there are times when that could be tested as we see in the life of Mordecai. Because the response, if we read a little bit further, I think it's at verse 5 and 6 in Esther chapter 3, it says this, when Haman, this is the highest priest of the land, when ha or prince, when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay homage, Haman was filled with wrath. 
So now you have a high prince of the land who thinks he's pretty important in the kingdoms of men. And he finds this lowly man named Mordecai, a simple Jew who refuses to bow his knee to a simple man. And the simple man shows his self, uh, himself by his fury and his anger. Well, Haman was full of wrath, and he seeks not only to destroy Mordecai, but look at the end of verse 6. Instead of going toward laying hands on Mordecai alone, uh, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai, this guy doesn't bow before you, Haman, because he's a, a Jew, and he represents thousands of Jews that are dispersed around this kingdom. Uh, therefore, uh, he did not bow down or pay homage. Uh, therefore, instead, Haman, the end of verse 6, sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, the people um, of Mordecai. Now, not only was Haman driven, I boiled it down to, I think, pride and egotism. Come on, stick it out there. I'm the high prince. Sucker. You know what I'm saying? Get on your knees. And the people going before him on his horse, you know, uh, bow before the high prince Haman. Everybody's on their knees, and here's Mordecai standing. Well, that makes him furious. So Haman decides, not only will I destroy Mordecai, but I'm going to wipe his name out from under heaven. I'm going to kill every Jew in the Persian Empire. Now this third point I want to get at, which is just a curious one, um, there are... Uh, let me first say, there's a point in time where civil disobedience is called for. When everybody else hits the dirt and you go, I hate it when this happens. Here I am. You see, let every man be a liar. But what do you really believe when push becomes shove, when things get tight? We may come to a time in America when you and I are tested. We see that it's in the pipeline already. I'm not saying what that's going to look like because I don't know. But I know when the laws of the land say you can't pray in public, when the laws of the land say it's okay to kill people, eh, they're not really people, they're just little things inside women, you know, it's okay. And then finally, it's okay to redefine marriage. It's not okay with the king. <laughs> and one of these days, we might be tested. And will we hit the dirt with everybody else? 
or will we simply stand with the recognition that it may cost us uh, something? Civil disobedience. When's it right to disobey the laws of the land? When they're in conflict with the laws of God. This is not hard. When God says, that's what we do. Be doers of the word and not just hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Okay, so then, um, we're called, number one, to stand in the midst of darkness. Uh, Number two, darkness can be costly. That was Esther chapter 3. And now, uh, number four, um, how do the righteous fall out of favor? This is an interesting little study here as we conclude. How do the righteous fall out of favor? Uh, Notice how easily the plot unfolds. Uh, Let's begin to look at verse um, 8 of chapter 3. It says this, Then Haman, I remember Haman, top prince, uh, Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him. He's furious. When we allow our anger and our wrath to fuel our actions, we've already put in, 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 mo- in motion uh, something that's going to be ugly. So the wrath-filled, prideful, egotistical Haman now says, not only do I want to kill this, you fill in the blank, scoundrel little man of a Jew, but I want to kill all of his people. And I am a man of influence. So he turns around and goes to King Ahasuerus. And he says this in verse 8. Then Haman said to the king, King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all of the provinces of your kingdom. Now, notice he didn't say there's a man who really made me mad and I'd like to take his head off. He said there is a certain people. The inference is they are a low-life scum of the earth, ragtag. You get the picture. They're scattered and dispersed among the people in all of the provinces of your kingdom, King Ahasuerus. And their laws are different from all of the other peoples who obey you, King Ahasuerus, and they do not keep the king's commands or the king's laws. Therefore, Haman to the king, they are not fitting for the king to let them remain. To please the king, verse 9, let a decree be written, and in fact, In fact, a decree was written, and King Ahasuerus did not do his due diligence here as he did with when the assassination plot. It says he sought out and he confirmed the truth, but this time he just listened to his high prince Haman, and he wrote a decree that all of the Jews on a specific day would be killed. And, oh, by the way, King... Prince Haman said, and I'll pay you a whole bunch of money. Silver I'll put into your uh, coffers. So he was pleased about that. Uh, Well, how do these, how do people fall out of favor? A couple of ideas I have. The first one is through distortions, lies, and misinformation. That's what we see here uh, in terms of Haman. There was a distortion. You got all these people and uh, it's, it's not good, King Ahasuerus. Um, so you distort the reality, 
you tell just a little lie. Sometimes a little lie is, is about misinformation, not giving all the facts. He didn't say these are God-fearing people spread around all of your kingdom. They obey this God of, 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 the, of the Bible, the book, the Old Testament then, uh, and they're, they're really productive people. He didn't go into any of that. He told lies, he distorted the facts, and he gave misinformation, um, and Haman only uh, told some of the truth. You see that? So sometimes uh, when we act as people then or now um, or react by only having some of the information, we too can participate in destroying the things of God. That's why the Scripture is real uh, intent on us getting certain uh, realities, not just being... uh, People by virtue, we believe what's in here. No, but by obeying what's in here. Um, For example, um, in James chapter 1, it says, So then, verse 19 and 20, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. Finding out the facts. What would have happened if King Ahasuerus would have said, okay, let's, let's do due diligence, bring some people in here who know these scattered people all around the kingdom. Let's find out who they are. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Now, what was in Haman's heart? Wrath, among other things, egotism and pride. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God ever. That's why we have to be aware of the darkness in our own hearts because all of us are subject to those factors. Pride and egotism was the driving force of the destruction um, of the Jews in the heart of Haman and now in the heart of King Ahasuerus. James 4, verse 1, puts it this way. He says, Where do wars and fightings come from among you? Do they not come from your own desires for pleasure that war in your own members? You see, when pride, when egotism, when recognition or superiority reign in the heart of an individual, the seeds are already there. Given the right conditions, those seeds can grow into something that's destructive. That's, by the way, why the Word says in Hebrews, um, let no root of bitterness root little pl- I'm a plant guy well not only do I eat plants but I grow plants you know I, and I start them from seeds and the little seedlings uh, germinate and burst and then they go down into the ground and they're real easy to pluck out of the ground when they're just little bitty things you know he, what he says is let no root of bitterness um, exist in you so so you you pluck those roots of bitterness those places of darkness out when they're little because if you don't do that they'll grow into big things as we see here and it's costing them potentially the whole destruction of the jewish uh, people Um, where do wars come from you james 4 1 says don't they come from the desires for pleasure and uh, they war against you etc now look back at um Chapter 3, verse 13, and we'll conclude with this uh, in Esther. And letters were sent by couriers into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, 
and to annihilate all of the Jews, both the young ones and the old ones, the little children and the women on one day. Fueled by the pride of men, the egotism that's there, the need to be superior, have position, etc., and a man who was willing to put it all on the line and stand in the midst of darkness. Now, fortunately, we know how this ends. Esther was called to the kingdom for such a time as that so that she then would go before the king knowing it could cost her life if he didn't hold out his golden scepter. And as she came in because she was highly favored by him, he holds out the scepter and then he listens to her. And goes for, going forward, Haman ultimately gets his dessert. <laughs> Light wins. Life wins in the midst of this life. It may cost you. There may be people that uh, misunderstand or sneer. Uh, but beloved, we win final text in Ephesians 6 it says you know we're not wrestling against flesh and blood you know we think this president that president wish we had this wish we didn't have that we wish something we wish anything but what we have you know we're not wrestling against flesh and blood the scripture says we're wrestling against principalities against against immensely high uh, powers against spiritual rulers of the darkened age against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Beloved, but the king of the universe, Jesus, has already given to us the sign that we can come in to his presence. We do not yet know what is in us as the people of God. We, we, we sort of do. I mean, we're coming into our identity, but we don't fully yet know until it gets really dark how immense the light is in you and how big the life is of Jesus in you and how amazing God is going to show himself strong upon the earth. But it will take men and women, young people and old, who are willing in the midst of their generation to stand up in the midst of an idolatrous and crooked generation to say, I will stand and be counted. Now what does that mean? Let me end with a very quick illustration. Here's a little book, uh, Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. It's the testimony of a lesbian woman by the name of Rosera Butterfield. She was a practicing, avowed L of the B, of the GBT. She was an intellectual, uh, she was a, a woman who was um, a tenured on a major college campus, and she came out of the closet as a lesbian at, I think it was about age 26 or 28. She was a radical... Well, you know, you, you get the picture. Maybe some of you have read the book. But by and by, she met a pastor who was willing to love her sufficiently and invite her into his home with he and his wife and to begin discussion with her. 
Now test your heart for just a minute. Just in the silence of our closing. Given what you know about your heart, would you be able to do that? Knowing she was a radical lesbian. That's a rhetorical question, obviously. And as the pastor invited her over to dinner, not once, not twice, but over the course of a number of years, they would look at what the Scripture has to say about a number of things, including um, lesbianism and or homosexuality. And over the course of many years of uh, three or four or five, I think it was, studying the Scriptures, the Spirit of God began to illuminate her mind and show her the folly of her lifestyle out of which she came by repentance and into becoming a transformed new creation in Jesus. <laughs> Come on, isn't that good? Those are the people that we're after. And we will never reach them by yelling at the darkness. We reach them by simply being men and women of the light and walking with the life of God in us and giving them truth with copious amounts of love. Beloved, that is doing the work of the kingdom. I saw a movie on PBS. My wife couldn't watch it. It was on trans. Transgenders. These little kids. 15, 16, 13, 12. And that they were transitioning from being little girls to becoming little boys because that's what they thought. That's who they were. Or little boys transitioning to become little, little girls. And I was fascinated by it. Why? By their sin? No. That's the culture we live in. Was I agreeing with it? No. But I learned something about it, and that is darkness is dark. Anywhere you find it. Whether it's in King Ahasuerus' kingdom, or whether it's in the United States of America in the year 2015. The question is not whether there's darkness or what it looks like. The question is, will we be men and women who simply walk in the light? Because when you walk in the light, the Scripture says in 1 John, as He, God, is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus continues to cleanse us from all of our sin. And you know what? When you're cleansed from your sin, you have the capacity then to love other people around you. Now, I know some of you are sitting here, and this is a hard message for some of you. And guess what? It is for me. But guess what? It's not hard for Jesus, because He is the way... He is the truth, and He is the life. He is also the light of the world. And He has come to move our sin out of the way so that He might come and live His life in us. So that we can love people and carry the truth, even though it may cost us something in the midst of this generation in which we live. Let's stand up and we'll be dismissed. Uh, Dean, if you would come and maybe end this with a song. I simply want to give you an opportunity today to make a fresh commitment to Jesus.
you say, oh, I know Jesus. He became my Savior in, uh, you know, 1992. That's awesome. Where is Jesus today in your heart? How much influence does he, the king, really have in your life or mine is the question. And beloved, today is a day of new and fresh consecration of our hearts to him. Why? Because we need Him every hour. We cannot live as men and women in the kingdom without the King being in resident in our heart in a profound way. So let's close our eyes and right now, Father, uh, as it seems right to your Holy Spirit, would you fall upon us, your people? (laughs) God, would you come in fresh power and baptize us in your Holy Spirit again? God, would you release rivers of living water from out of our hearts? God, forgive us where we've been miserly. Forgive us where we've been chintzy. God, would you forgive us where we have been prejudiced? Would you forgive us when we walk in superiority? God, would you forgive us for all of those places of darkness in our heart? And would you shine the life of Jesus and his light into our hearts afresh today? Now, beloved, if that's what's in your heart, to pray to Jesus, just take a moment silently and say, God, have your way in me. Do what you want to do in me, God. For you have called me to such a time as this. Fill me afresh with your Spirit. Cause me, God, to shed off all of the works of darkness that I might walk in the light and in the life. We're going to ask that our prayer and ministry team, elders, if you'd come and just be available up here. There are some of you who might want some special prayer right where you are. If that's you, just... We're going to dismiss you in just a minute. But just slip your hand up or, or give somebody an elbow next to you. And say, I'd like prayer. Will you pray for me? You have been authorized and deputized by Jesus the King to minister life to people. Now, I haven't been through three courses to tell me how to do it. Try loving folk. Try blessing them in the name of Jesus. Try giving them something that they need. Father, I bless you and I thank you for today. As we conclude, draw your people to share one with another and or to come forward. Maybe you're here and have never given your life to Jesus. This would be a great time to do just that. Just as you are, without one plea. But that is blood was shed for me. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord himself make his countenance to shine upon you. And may the Lord motivate within you His light has now shined in you so that your light has come and therefore rise and shine as the people of God. Father, I bless this people today in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Come for prayer or seek prayer from someone around you. Share the love of Jesus with those close to you. Let's worship with a closing song. You got a song, please?
Oh 